I would like to see in the industries where there are no boxes anymore and we're just celebrated for being the humans that we are. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone. Today we've got sort of an ad hoc bit to the podcast. I'm at a great event, November 25th, called This Can Happen. There's so many passionate people here talking about mental health, trying to talk about workplace innovation when it comes to mental health. And I'm just going to chat to loads of people. And I'm meeting for the first time because we've chatted, haven't we, on the phone, but we're meeting for the first time. Would you just introduce yourself and why mental health is important to you? Hi, Petra. My name's Laura Hearn. Yay. I'm the CEO and founder of Jigsy's Place, which is a mental health consultancy okay. specialised in eating disorders. And I'm also a producer, television news producer for the BBC. You're a busy lady. Yeah. You're like we, a really we, busy lady. We have established that perhaps yes. I'm slightly too busy. Slightly too busy. Like, how's your mental health at the moment? I'm just going to segue <laughs> into okay, that. It's pretty good today because I um, dragged myself here to connect with some really... I'm and so what glad I mean drag myself, that sounds terrible. Yeah. But I was like, I should be doing this. And I was like, no, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be connecting with like-minded people. Aren't the shoulds tricky, Yeah, the, sh- and the shoulds That's are terrible. The, the I, should, fuck, isn't I, it? I should erase should from my yes. vocabulary. But yeah, I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad I'm I, glad I'm glad I made it. I'm glad you came. Um, and I know, so tell us about Jigsy. What's, what is it? Do? So Jigsy is something that I founded when I came back from treatment as an inpatient in America for my eating disorder. And it's an art blog, I guess, that shares experiences, stories through images of recovery and messages of hope around mental health and eating disorders and it, it operates on social media and Instagram and people share me that share their stories with me and I don't edit them and it's really lovely it's kind of pieces of people's puzzle and they all go into fit one big jigsaw hence the name oh, I love Jigsy, it. which connects people globally through an art blog yeah. Yeah. yeah and I know so we're going to get your full story onto the podcast in a couple <laughs> weeks so I'm excited that we've got that scheduled in and we're going to go deep on all of your experiences but I guess this event is like about mental health at work yeah and so I'm curious when you were struggling with your eating disorder and all of that like could people have done something different in the workplace to support you like what do you think should be done when it comes to mental health in the workplace yeah I think possibly I was particularly lucky at the BBC but the reason why that was was because my editor at the time my boss at the time had also had an experience of mental health so he understood it and said you go and do what you need to do and he was a real human did you person. know that before no when I told him out. I found out and he got it he understood because his mother had had depression and he jumped through all sorts of hoops to allow me to go for eight months to his inpatient clinic across the world and keep my job open oh wow um, yeah not not let's be real not everyone's that lucky no, in a sense no yeah. and since I've been doing work within companies 
companies and the BBC particularly, I found out that you know other people are not so lucky because of who their manager or boss are. And uh, I guess when I was transitioning back into the workplace, I think one of the things I found difficult is that people did not know what to say to me. Uh, I looked different. I obviously sounded different. I was yeah. just a different person. What did they do? They, they did kind they ignore of just, it, or did they uh, just well, actually, talk about the weather? This is an interesting point. The the place is so busy that people can go on a holiday or go on career breaks for a year, eighteen months, and people come back and meet them at the tea bar. I said, "Oh, I haven't seen you for a while," and you're oh, like, right. "Yeah, I've kind of been away for like two years." But that's how busy the newsroom is. I work sure. in the world's busiest newsroom. So when I came back, some people hadn't really noticed I'd gone, and then others who had my close colleagues didn't really know what to say to me and they were Did like, they make oh, assumptions? kind of good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. I guess really, no, they didn't make assumptions, but um, I guess really, I would have, I would say, for someone who's transitioning back into workplace after being away so long, you don't actually have to have a script. All I no. guess is I wanted someone to acknowledge and just say, hey, you know, put the reach down and say, would you like to go for a coffee or something? But I think people are quite scared because they don't know what to say. Will that trigger that person? Will they make them upset? And I can only relay it to you when my stepfather passed away, when he was killed suddenly in a, in, a, in a car accident years ago, and people did not know what to say to me because they worried they were going to make me cry or upset right. me. And I... I now always just say, be a human. You don't have to have the words, you don't have a script, because the script changes on any given day, what you're gonna say, just just put your arm around and say, you're, are yeah, you okay? And you're not you don't have to make it better. That's no, I think what people are worried people about. Want to save you. Yeah. Like they're yeah, yeah. responsible and it's like, no. And also what's wrong with some tears? People yeah. get very uncomfortable with a little yeah. bit not even tears, but just like a bit of emotion. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. shit, should I not have brought it up? Yeah. Like you know. But actually we can walk around just missing yeah. that somebody noticed us, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, I guess yeah. it's a little bit more normalised. Valued, valued and um, And I think seen and heard. I wrote something recently about being seen and heard, and that is, uh, you know, it's that old phrase of children shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, 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 seen but not heard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's absolutely uh, BS. Pardon. Well, and I remember when I was struggling with my mental health that I, the, the word I would use is that I felt invisible. Yeah. And then because I felt invisible, I then isolated myself more. So I yeah. played a part. Now in hindsight, I played a part in that. Felt more invisible. My mental health was worse, right? Yeah, 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 and, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the cycle just continued until I had to break out of desperation and start yeah. opening up about my story. Yeah, and, and I guess especially with an eating disorder, eating disorders thrive in secrecy. That's the only way for me shame, to, right? Yeah, and the only way for me to actually have got better in my recovery is to talk about it, to say, I need to go for lunch now, even though my eating disorders want me to, like I have to say it out loud because it's such a secret illness. And so by being able to feel comfortable say with a colleague, will you come for lunch or I need to go and have my snack or whatever, that has been um, I actually had to use kind of accountability at work. But I also think it's the same thing around suicide. People say, oh, I don't want to like say anything because, um, you know. What if it brings what if it, they triggers it? it? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Actually, that person is going to do that. You're not going through them, but you may save them. Ask the fucking question. <laughs> Ask the question. If you're yeah. worried, like, just, people, we're yeah. just holding on to it out of uncomfortableness. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's great to come to massive conferences like this with lots of CEO leaders. But actually, it's not, it's not every, it's everyone's responsibility. It's like from bottom down, not top up. It's like, I think it's a collective responsibility. I definitely think more leaders need to show yeah. the way and say, like, my career hasn't been jeopardized. I'm human. I've still got to the top because I think that's a huge thing. People worry that 
they will be um, ostracised, their career will be yeah, railroaded. Yeah, and I think in some some companies that may it well does, be true. Yeah, yeah let's true. be real. Let's be true. That's true. But unless we unless there's more people at the top that talk about it in places like this, that will forever stay the same. And so yeah, I mean, so what, talk, are you, yeah. what are your hopes for? Because we're gonna get into your story in a couple yeah, weeks. But I what are your hopes for Jigsy? Um, I hope Jigsy is to I guess. Use not just use my experience of recovery, but also use my experience of working in a in a, a huge, fast-paced newsroom, and use my uh, skills around narrative and language, and and how we can really shape more around the conversation. But actually, not just conversation, but then put t tools into place in workplaces, and um, they don't have to be huge gimmicky one-day uh, yoga retreats. I think they no. And I was I was actually in Hamburg doing a workshop last week and talking about openness talking about the story and this and this girl um, this young woman pulled me aside sort of at the break or when an activity was going on and she went she kind of lowered her voice and she went so I've been struggling with an eating disorder for three years she went I'm okay now they always say that when they're yeah, ready to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. I'm okay now she went but last year was terrible and she's whispering and I went does anyone in your team know and she went no and she went shh like don't tell anyone yeah. right and of course it's not my place and I was thinking oh, can, can you because it also was, was um, presenting itself as a very like we're, we're very connected and a real community in the workplace, which was absolutely true. And and someone else told me something else during a break that they hadn't told anyone. And, you know, and I was thinking, oh my God, there's like this undercurrent. It's just like Chinese whispers. Yes. Right? And I'm like, imagine if we could be open about this stuff. You'd realize that loads of people are struggling with shit, and you could actually support each other in a better way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, th I, I think if for sure if you are struggling with something, you'll know that someone else is. And it doesn't, you don't it's have hard, to have a severe mental health issue. No, exactly. Just struggling with navigating this really crazy world that we yes. have to live yes. in. Life. Yeah. yeah. And and your home life and your workplace are not exclusive. Exactly. And I think both need to be equally balanced and, and, and as healthy and nourishing as they can be. Absolutely. What are you looking forward to today? Um, just me, actually, just catching up with it's the people, people right? Like, yeah, I know, I know. The people, and I, as much as I feel like I already know you, so glad actually. I know. Um, we just like hugged. Yeah. It was like we knew each other, even though we've yeah, only spoken yeah, on the yeah. phone. And I think that is really nice. People here, they just you just kind of get it, don't they? Um, just get human. Absolutely, yeah. Laura. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, so we are now with Adrian Rodriguez Garcia. Oh my God, that's a mouthful right in itself. And um, and Britt, it's so good to see you. It's been so, it's been a while. I'm so glad. So introduce yourselves for me, please, and let me know why you're here at This Can Happen. Well, I'm I'm here today to cover the event for the ebook that the organisers publish every year because some of the events run at the same time and apparently last year some people said that they would have liked to find out more about another event they couldn't go to, so we're summarising it all in an ebook. Um, and my background is in mental health writing because um, I've written a book with Johnny Benjamin. Yeah. And that's really one of the reasons why I'm here. Yeah. And so who's the ebook going to go out to? That's a very good question. Is it like attendees or is it all to all yeah. the attendees to download? I think that's so you have to attend everything. No, between three of us we cover everything. Oh, I see. So it's about seven events each. I think that's you're cut. You're covering out. everything yes, together. Yes. And I saw there's a Beyond uh, Shame, Beyond Stigma stand right. as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And Neil is here. Neil Layton. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's part of the conference, isn't he? I don't think he is anymore. 
He's just attending this year. And he's he's at the stand, yeah. I'll have to chat with him. I saw him earlier um, today. Uh, so what about you, Adrian? Uh, introduce yourself. How come you're at This Can Happen? <laughs> Hey Petra, yeah, I'm Adrian Garcia. I am a mental health campaigner cool. and consultant and other things, <laughs> I guess. Are you one of those that wear many different hats? I yeah, well, I sort of wear many half of many different hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Fashion, fashion first. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, this can happen uh, as an attendee, basically, to get as much knowledge and sort of people's opinions as possible, and uh, and see lovely people like you. And what do you think needs to happen in the workplace? There's lots of conversations going on, but like, what do you think is going to make the most change when it comes to mental health at work? Well, I, th I think the answer in part is in your question. I think there's a lot of conversations going on, but the next step hasn't really happened. Yes. So people, you know, a lot of big companies are sending out speakers to all kinds of different conferences, and a lot of big companies are inviting mental health speakers in, etc. But the day-to-day -day workplace is exactly the same. For me, I think that we need to spend a lot more time interviewing employees and actually talking to people on the ground, or on, on the ground at their desks, etc. And actually implementing real change based on what they want. So whether that's flexible of we're working or even moving desks around or anything like that would actually implement it rather than uh, ticking a box. And Britt, you you work for yourself, right? In the same way that I do. Yes, yeah. Yes. What are the challenges when it comes to working for yourself when it comes to mental health? Like we don't have these like fancy team initiative things that we can drop in on, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's pretty obvious, but it can be quite difficult to motivate yourself. I mean, in my previous incarnation, I, I worked in publishing as a literary scout, and even though I also worked from home, I had a lot more meetings and a lot more interactions Connection. with other people yeah. Yeah, throughout the day, whereas as a writer, especially when you're writing books, you know, okay, I'm very lucky to have a great co-author, but yeah, you can be very isolated sometimes, and, and it's also quite difficult to switch off in the evenings, of yeah. course. It's lonely, isn't it? It can be, yeah. Well, that's where the dog comes in. So. Oh, you, yeah, you do have a beautiful dog, and you do love um, pet therapy, right? Exactly. Pet therapy. But I think I just want to state, like, there is a challenge for there's so many more of us who are either remote or who work for ourselves. And I know for me, the first six, eight months was just like, oh, it's all on me, and like, who do I talk Absolutely, to? And yeah. I had to sort of build up that community, which was hard. Yeah, and you can't just kind of moan at somebody, you know. The dog, in an the office, dog. Even if something really trivial happens, yeah. you have a quick moan about it over a coffee or something. That's true. When you're on your own, um, you know, you can't you can't do that. Having said that, you know, it's 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 a lot better than working in, in an environment that's not understanding or where there's some Toxic. sort of bullying going on or whatever. So Absolutely. On, on, on your own in that perspective. And so, both of you, why is mental health important to you? Like, I certainly have a mental health story myself, and I'm curious about why is mental health important to you? Um, it's important to me because um, I think when we were writing the book, Johnny looked at me at some point and said, oh my gosh, you're surrounded by a lot of mental health issues. Yeah. And the penny dropped and I thought, yes, I mean, certainly in my family, um, I myself uh, have had problems with anxiety and depression. And, and also I had a, an ex-partner who had schizoaffective disorder. Oh, so obviously, yep. you know, it's, it's yeah. everywhere. As yes. It's all just underneath the surface, exactly. bubbling around. It's such a, a valid conversation. What about you, Adrian? 
Uh, yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, I've got my own mental health story. So do most of my family and most of my friends. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure I know anyone who sort of doesn't have some form of story there. And you know, the statistics do sort of speak to that. So it's really important for me to make sure that everyone is kind of on the same page in terms of understanding what we're actually talking about. And you know, when we're talking at an event like this, mental health at work, you know, what's really interesting for me is how productive could people actually be if everything was sorted out. You know, and if if we if we found some way, which I hope we're all walking to, working towards, of you know creating complete, like amazingly mentally healthy workplaces, we could probably get the same productivity out of two and a half day working weeks, right? So yeah, trying to look into that. I love it. I love it. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully you'll enjoy the conference, get loads of notes done, and that we'll get some innovation speak going that isn't just about awareness. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Will, Alan Marsh, that is Marsh, Marsh, please? It's Marsh, it's, it's weird. Marsh. Will, Alan Marsh, okay. Yeah. So I've just come to your stand at This Can Happen for the company called Spill. Now, I talk to people about you guys because I've heard about it, and it's, and from my understanding, it's text therapy, right? Yes. And that you can get check-in and get a therapist. Yes. Um, and workplaces specifically kind of purchase it as an extra tool. Tell us about Spill. Yes, you're right. So it is an app which lets people message with therapists. And the idea, the reason we were kind of set up is because Calvin and Gavin, the co-founders, Calvin's mum is actually a therapist. And so okay. he grew up kind of seeing how amazing therapy could be. I have be. to talk to him. My kids have a therapist. I'm yeah. a therapist as well. Like, how fucked up do they get? Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. And we were like, therapy is amazing, yes. but it's just kind of insane that it's so hard to access. Yes. And that a bit old school. It's very old school. Yeah. We either have to go private or we have to wait on the NHS. Yeah, for ages. For ages. And we were like, how can we get the benefits of it to more people? So it started with a problem problem in mind rather than a solution. We weren't just like, we've got this yeah, yeah. gimmicky app, that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like, how can we try and boil the best bits of it down to a broader audience? So that's what led us to the idea of, let's get people to message with therapists. My therapist, we all do therapy in real life as well. My therapist always says to me that 80% of the work of therapy happens outside the room yeah. in between sessions. Yeah. When yeah. stuff is sinking in, when you're applying those techniques yeah. in real life. So that's how we, that's what Spill is about. It's about, like boiling the relationship down to its core elements, but still keeping the, the bits that are useful. So my, I've been speaking with my therapist on Spill this week, and That's I get such a good title, by the way. Thank you. And just like let's spill, spill the beans, just like just, just let it out. That's our bigger thing, just yes. getting everyone to spill it more. So I get quite stressed because I'm a bit of a people pleaser, uh -oh. and I'm always trying to do too much. Yeah. So my therapist on Spill, Graham, this week said, I want you to say no to three things this week. And then it was write... like actually giving you like a challenge. Yeah, so that's it. A lot of the work happens off the app. So I had to write down three times when I said no to stuff, how that felt. And report back. Report back. This then is we a bit coachy, like, like task focus or like challenge you to yeah. behave different. Yeah, so the, I guess our, we're kind of person-centered intricative as an approach. Love it. So we do, we're all about like the person and their history. We don't see symptoms, we see people. And often on Spill, you start talking a bit maybe about your past, your formative relationships, but we then want to make that actionable and help you move forward. So I think we're trying to take the best bits of like slightly different styles, so the best of like psychodynamic, but then equally, it does, as you said, go a bit into kind of coaching. Which I love, because I think that's how th therapy needs to evolve. Me too. Like, how this do we is what do I felt. things different? Exactly. Yeah. This is what I felt with face-to-face -face therapy. Absolutely loved it. Led me to some 
frankly, insights. like shattering insights. Yes, insights. <laughs> but then I was like, cool, I now want to move into action. And what do I do with them? Yeah. And yeah. that bit was less yes. easy in yeah. the traditional structures. So this is so user-friendly, accessible, and workplaces can like get subscriptions in bulk, right? That's the idea. So actually, when we started a year and a half ago, we started trying to sell directly to people. And the Which I loved as well, because I'd like I'd love to just like download the app for my teenagers yeah. and be like, hey, I'll pay the subscription for you guys to access it if yeah. you want. Yeah. It was so it was great, but the users we got were actually people who'd already done therapy sure. and were really into that world. And the reason we started it was because we wanted to help get the benefits of therapy to people who otherwise wouldn't get it. And offering it through companies, or we offer it through some universities as well, the fact that it's free oh, cool. and it's just a perk, it just means people are much more likely to use it. So 80% of our users now haven't used any other kind of support before. So that's and that's and this is the way in. That's the for thing. people who are like, oh, it's so old school. Right. Do I want to lay on a sofa, whatever. Right. With some cigar smoking sex. Exactly. Um, it's got. There's a lot of kind of intimidation. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like just stereotypes. connotation stereotypes. Yeah. That I think put people off. Yeah, yeah. Half our well, 48% of our users are men, which is great because oh. traditionally, yeah, we're not as good. No, you're just a bit shit at talking. You're a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great definition. We're yeah. just, just, we're just a, a bit, bit shit. shit. Try spill if you're a bit shit. If you're a little bit shit. I'll give you that one for free. I'll take that line. I'll take that line. <laughs> now, I know you've got a call to get to, and I just wanted to yes. grab you quickly. What's the Spill website, or how can people? www.spill.chat. .chat. Ooh, yeah. Spill.chat. I know. Will, thank you so much for Lovely your to time. Talk. Appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I'm so excited that you just like replied, yeah. messaged me on Instagram. Well, I no love it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Action. You're <laughs> like, I see an opportunity. Just content, take content. it. Yeah. yeah. So I just posted on Instagram saying, I'm at the event. If anyone wants to come speak with me on the podcast, then find me. And Paul McGregor was just like, I'm in, right? Yeah, let's let's meet it. at the break. So here we are. Paul, tell us a little bit about you and why mental health is important to you. A little bit about me. So um, I always say first 18 years of my life, mental health didn't even enter my mind. Wait, how old are you? I'm 29 now. Are you really? Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, what, 20? So it's been two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shameless flattery. So nearly 30, nearly 30, <laughs> I say 29. Yeah. Um, so first 18 years, mental yeah. health, mental illness. So no conversation no, as a young man, a boy, all of that? No, quite sort of straightforward. Yes. You know, and and the, the story that I always share, the story of, of my dad. So my dad, again, no signs of mental illness, no signs of depression. And all of a sudden, one day, just suddenly broke down. Behaviors changed overnight. Went to the doctors, got antidepressants, um, was, was diagnosed with depression. A couple of days later, went back, got prescribed more antidepressants. Uh, a couple of days later, he attempted suicide for the first time. Wow, um, so quick turnaround. Quick, like, and how, like, you were 18, 19? Yeah. 18 and, um, yeah, literally so quick. I, I can't remember exactly, but I always say it was about seven days, like from changing behaviors to attempt. Do you, in hindsight though, do you think there is a whole host 100%. of, there would have been, right, but just exactly. hidden? Exactly, so now now when I do my, when I do talks or yeah. I talk about it, leading up to that breakdown, there was subtle signs that now I know, now, now with the education that I've got, like um, the sleeping behavior change, change jobs, you know, kind of withdrew himself from certain situations. Was he um, quite like old school man in the sense of we don't talk, like did he have a friendship group? Do you even know if yeah, it was like, real with you know, people? My, yeah, so so he had friends, he had, you know, my dad was an athlete, he had a psychology degree, he read self-help books, wow. he meditated, so he was 
Okay, like, seems really, quite an every, involved every, man. Exactly. Yeah. Everything, everything on paper seemed okay. In terms of how my dad dealt with his emotions, he was quite sensitive. Like, we would always hug and kiss and, you know, he'd say he loved us. But obviously being brought up by my granddad, you know, 94, still alive, stiff upper lip. I think he did struggle to talk about his emotions. But after that attempt, he survived and we thought everything would go back to normal. I mean, it didn't. My dad then ended up sectioning himself into a local mental health unit. He spent about three years in a local mental health unit and we're visiting him every day. And now it's my first exposure to mental illness. Like, horrible, horrible place, as, 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 you, as you know. It's, they it's, can be horrible, can't they? Like really honestly, clinical and cold. Plastic, white, yeah. cold. And, but my, my dad's in this environment now and um, we're seeing patients with borderline personality disorder and psychosis. And the way that I explain it is this was like over here in my first 18 years of my life. That would never be me. I would so never how are you managing this? Like, like understanding hard. this? Like yeah. we were just we were just getting by. But still, with, with, the, with the education that I had at that time, I, it sounds horrible, but I thought my dad would just get better. I thought sure. him being in there, like he's just going to... Like you go into hospital for an operation and you come out, you're exactly. good. Yeah. He's there, he's going to get better, everything will go back to normal. He came out of the mental health unit, seemed a bit better. But, you know, he was just putting on that mask and pretending that everything was okay and, and very sad. Sadly, um, we lost him on the 4th of March 2009, so that was, was the day in, Was he in he the unit? Did he take no, his so he'd come out. He went back in, he got released on the Monday, and he took his own life on the Tuesday. Um, so yeah, then that was where my kind of journey started, 18, 19. I went, I went clubbing like five days after, drinking every weekend. I started a fashion business, which was great, but then it was like burying my head in the laptop. I don't want to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with it. But how do you deal with suicide? It was, it was and, all and of these yeah, emotions. Yeah, who did you go to? Did you at least, did you have mates or did you decide? Did mates, you, you know, but it's like, my, it's one of those where like my dad's funeral, there were so many people there, like no one could get in because he had so many friends, so many oh. people. All of my friends come, but for me, I don't think it was my mates that didn't want to talk. It was I didn't want to talk to them. I just wanted to... You didn't know how, probably. To do, how do you no. deal with that when you've had no... I mean, how do you deal with that anyway? Even if you have the language and preparation, it's just so hurtful. Exactly. And I think it was just for me, put on the brave face, show everyone I was all right, but at home, cry, deal with it on my own. I went to a counsellor. I went to a psychiatrist. None of that really helped. And then about two or three years after, I hadn't really dealt with any of the emotion. I kind of suppressed it, bought nice Can flowers I, and all that. I stuff. know I said it would be a short one, but I'm just yeah. like, oh my god, oh my god. Why do you think counseling and psychologists or whatever didn't help? Because we sometimes know. hear that, and I, and I have my opinions, but I'm curious. For me, the counselor and the GP, I went there probably six months after my dad's suicide. I, one, timing, I don't think I was ready. Yeah. And two, it was so forced. Yeah. It was like, come on. Show the emotion cure, now. Yeah, cure You've got me. an hour. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was very much, I was waiting for her to like say something or cure me. Like, come on, sort my problems out. Um, same with the psychiatrist, it seemed very forced. But two years after that, I found myself in a room with a lady called Anne. She's a holistic therapist. And I went there purely for massage. She offered massage, I had a back problem. But, um, That's funny, I was in itself, right? Exactly, I yeah. was explained that she is a witch and she knows more about you than you know about yourself. <laughs> so the, the funny thing was, about the second or the third session, Anne asked me a question, she said, why are you here? I was like, I'm here for my back. She said, no, why are you really here? Ooh. And oh yeah, it cut me, I cried. I said, like, my dad took his own life, I don't know how to deal with it. 
first time in like two or three years I finally let all that emotion so out. So you're now like 2021 20, when yeah. you're, yeah. And yeah, she, and, and, was, and was the lady and she still is. I still see her every now and then. She was the one person that got me to finally speak about it. And I think there's a, there's a really powerful point about our physical health and yeah. that we might, you know, we hold the tension in places in our body and then yeah. we start going somewhere for that help, right? Exactly. But and really, I, it's, it's something else. And my back got a lot better. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> and, 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 and more, I don't know how you would label and she's more of a holistic therapist. She's very sure. spiritual. Yeah. And it sounds weird, like a 21-year-old, 22-year-old being drawn towards spirituality, but like understanding that there's something a bit bigger than what we're actually experiencing. Um, and there's something really about energy and the dynamic within our body, our mind, our soul that has something to, like the toxins and everything. Yeah. And, and that and plays that really a part. And old school therapy doesn't necessarily tackle that. Yes, yeah, so and got to the why rather than the symptoms. Yeah, and, does of that the make emotion. Sense? Yeah. And got to the root cause of like, why was I tired? Why was I always drinking? Why was I like burying myself in a, a laptop? She didn't really talk about any of that. She just got to the root reason of why. And then what Anne was very good at was she didn't try and fix my problems. She would just guide me over the next couple of years. She'd give me a book. I'd come home. I'd read it. It wouldn't really work at that time. She'd give it to me a year later. It would then sink in. It's something about timing as well, exactly. isn't it? And she would just guide me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, fast forward about eight years after my dad's suicide, I wanted to start sharing a little bit more about it. I felt like I was in a better place. Um, and I started with a blog post and then videos on social media and then talks and then it's kind of just gone from there. And so what are you doing now? What is Every Mind Solutions? Every Mind Solutions. So I do a lot of talks personally. So nice. I go into companies, schools, okay. um, share my story. Yeah. Every Mind Solutions is, is more of a, we're trying to be mental health champions for the workplace yeah. and also for schools as well. So um, offering a digital platform that can try and help you know, students and also help employees and also do sort of bespoke training as well. Very exciting. Um, what are you hoping to get out of today at This Can Happen? Connections. I've only literally arrived because I'm late and then um, I'm doing a talk at lunch for dinner, but really just to meet people like you. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this, and events like this, this is the best part of it. Yeah. I suddenly feel like super normal because I'm with people yeah. and I'm just like hugging them yeah, and like yeah, yeah. I just get to be myself. Whereas in some workplaces, I mean, I do that anyway and that's what innovation looks like is leading by example and just being open about yeah. this sort of stuff. But I like these sorts of events because I can just go, hey, I can just start a conversation by going, how's your mental health these days? Yeah, 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 yeah. And not be like, say what? What? <laughs> so let's end on that. How is your mental health these days? My mental health is good, although I woke up late. You know, yeah, I have the intention of I'm going to get up at five, do a little bit of work, yeah. do the bins, yeah. the chorus, uh, and then I'm going to get up there early. Woke up at like quarter past eight, rushed around. But I feel good. I had a chilled weekend, detached. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel good. Good, good, good. Well, we would love you, Paul, to come on the Adversity to Advantage yeah, podcast and go deep and spend yeah. a full 45 minutes hour like talking about your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah? so much more. Let's do it. I know there is. I know there is. This is just a taster, people. Paul, thank you so much for your right, time. For Looking me. forward to chatting to you again. Thank you. So I found the TLC stand. Yes, I have. It's the lions. I am one of the lions, so I feel very welcome here, which is wonderful. And I've got with me Ian Power. Uh, Power is just the best name ever. You must get that all the time. And we have Mr. Power on the stage. It's beautiful. Um, so at this can happen, which is really exciting. We're talking about mental health and empowering workplaces. You guys are on later. What's TLC Lions? What are you guys doing later? Uh, thank you. It's a very kind introduction as well. So yeah, my name is 
the Empower TLC Lions is really on a mission to ignite emotion in the workplace through storytelling. So we're doing that by bringing together 25 ordinary people with extraordinary stories to really share their stories in organizations to ignite this emotion. It's not until you hear from somebody else and it makes you think, wow, I should share as well. And I truly believe everyone has a story yes. and I want everyone to feel confident and courageous enough to share it. So that's us. But why emotion? Yeah. Why do we think, why emotion? Like story is one thing. Yeah. Why do you want to ignite emotion? I think throughout my background and yeah. personal tragedy, I realized the power of tuning into my emotions. It's yeah. energy in motion in our body, and I never tuned into how I felt. Yeah. And it not only affects my day, but the people around me. So as soon as I could regulate how I'm feeling and tune in, am I feeling sad, happy, anxious, nervous, whatever? I can just, one, note it and regulate around it. And it's had a huge impact on my life overall. And how does that affect work? How does that affect work if we can learn to regulate and understand our emotions? Yeah, I think going into when I used to work at PwC, I'd go in on a Monday morning, and no matter how much I look after myself, I'd go in there'd be mood hoovers. You know, they suck the living daylight out of you, right? And if people are struggling, that's okay, and we're there to help. But equally, if people just have a real negative mindset and all those negative emotions, it had an impact on the team, morale, productivity, and everything, and ultimately the clients who maybe weren't as happy. So I thought if we can get people to tune into how they're feeling a lot more and know how that impacts people in their teams, it can boost things so much. I hope my team would say that now yeah. as well. You know, yeah, yeah. I say, how are you feeling? Yeah. What emotions are you feeling? Yeah. And I think as leaders, we need to speak out more about our emotions to create the right kind of circle of trust for others. Lead by example. So I know you're going to be on stage in a little bit. What's your session about? So this year, I'm doing a session on storytelling. Okay. You know, I think it's a powerful tool. You know, they say, that if business leaders want to be heard, it has to be through storytelling. So how can we bring this into the workplace to encourage everyone to share their stories and bring companies' purpose to life? So powerful. I'm going to attend. Yeah, Thank you wait. so much for your Amazing. time. We'll Thanks talk soon. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Cheers. Hello, young men. I feel like I must say that because you guys were just on stage uh, talking about young people's mental health in the workplace. It was amazing listening Thank to you. you and your openness and your story. Was it you talking about post-traumatic stress? I was indeed, yes. yes. Um, I'm going to have to jump into that. But for, for now, would you just introduce yourself for the sure. Adversity to Advantage podcast, please? Sure. So my name is Aaron Sherwood. I am a uh, consultant analyst at Accenture. And I was joined with Stuart talking about our experiences as the younger generation around mental health. Yes. And, uh, uh, who are you? I'm Stuart Catlin. Yeah. I work within Accenture as a management consultant in our uh, sort of comms media technology sector, and I'm also the UK and Ireland uh, carers group lead. And both of your stories were pretty profound, so from that personal perspective, but also the long-term impact of being a carer and like not having a place to go to really talk about these sorts of things. How long have both of you maybe been open about your story? Like, what's prompted you to be open? Mine is probably around four years. Okay. The big prompt for me was, was finally actually being in a professional environment that was much more open and felt safe more than anything else. I mentioned it on stage earlier today, but it, it pretty much my trigger point came in a room of about 30, 40 people who were all talking about their mental health experiences. Um, and the whole point of it was a training piece to try and educate people on the right language to use, how you might encourage others to, to open up about their own experiences. So there is something quite profound about just witnessing other people talk about their mental health that makes you feel like it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it gives you that 
if other people can take a leap of faith, then I can absolutely do the same thing too. And they're doing it no matter what level they are in the organization. It doesn't matter if they're completely brand new, day one analyst or, or a managing director that's been there for years. I've found down the years that if I can see that kind of honesty from others, then I absolutely need to join the same bandwagon. There's something so powerful about leaders leading by example from the top, especially for the younger generation coming in. So, yeah. Aaron, um, <laughs> you talked about post-traumatic stress and that made yeah. my ears perk up because I get PTSD from sure. time to time uh, and I've been exploring all sorts of ways. Like, there's so much information out there, right? Yeah. About like, yeah. first of all, figuring out what it is, we minimize it if it's not the classic like war story, right? Yes. Um, right? Absolutely. And then like, I'm trying, I'm testing out somatic experiencing therapy and like different things, but like, what do yeah. you think helps yeah. post-traumatic stress? Yeah, well this, this resonates quite closely because one of the problems I was facing was I'd be Googling frantically to find out, you know, why am I having flashbacks? Why am I having nightmares? Yeah. And actually you would end up, you know, with Google telling you you've got something you really don't have. Yeah. So actually going, boiling it down to so the basics, <laughs> yeah. having a chat with your friends and your family and just saying things aren't going right was the single most important thing for me. So I put my hand up and I said, I think I might need therapy. So I spoke with a psychologist who recommended putting myself back into the situations of which would cause the most anxiety, which sounds terrifying. With the therapist? Like... No. You're without the therapist. Okay. Um, but I'd have a friend or a, fa or a family member with sure. me. So buses were one, one of those things. So I felt trapped and enclosed in that environment. I put myself back on buses. Oh, and so I, almost to like test it, like don't avoid the exactly. trigger spot. And I could always know that I could get off at the next stop. And if I did, I'd get off. But actually it was like bus after bus, lecture after lecture, you know, or these sort of environments after environments. I got back into a position actually where today I manage it incredibly well. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I sometimes don't experience anxiety or flashbacks. Sure. I now manage it really well well but that for me was single-handedly the most key. important and, and like don't hide away from it that's that's preferable exactly um what do you do to look after your mental health well i meditate quite a lot so okay. ahead of our presentation today yeah um last night i was <laughs> listening to lots of like guided meditations a full body starting yeah. at the feet right through to the head body scan um i talk really open and honest with like friends colleagues i mentioned one of the managing directors at our firm i get insights from those that have got to the top the challenges they've faced um maybe i can apply some of their some of their uh, techniques also and i think finally have a read around as well you know find out different sort try different techniques and that kind of stuff i find you know reading up about different topics and that kind of stuff really helps so just go, um, don't don't shy away from the topic um stuart i know you've but you're it's your girlfriend isn't it that's um that has a mental health issue so you're challenged as far as caring for her is that right uh so it was my ex-partner so okay, okay. we were together for about six years okay. um she I originally opened up to me and said that uh, she was suffering from uh, eating disorder. And gradually, after years of encouraging her to get professional therapy and support, we realised that not only was she suffering from an eating disorder, but it was something a little bit deeper than that. There was uh, uh, severe depression, there were definite, definite suicidal tendencies that existed there, um, and she found it very difficult just to physically get out of bed in the morning. Um, so from my perspective as a carer, it was trying to always positively encourage, you know, just get yourself there, you know, try and drag yourself up in the morning using the right words using the right sentences and over time you eventually don't use the right words and yeah, you yeah, can yeah. end up doing a lot more damage than you than you're intending to do because it's an inbuilt frustration and usually with mental health conditions is you have to separate the person from the illness and when you can't do that sometimes it's 
it's a little bit clouded and it can be really, really difficult. Sadly, we're no longer together, but I think that she's definitely in a much more positive state. She's in control and managing what, what she's going through on a daily basis. And so given that we all have mental health, how do you look after your mental health? I hope I manage my mental health well. Um, I found for me it is all about creating good balance. It's making sure you still do the things you enjoy and find fun in life. Whether that's you know keeping good physical mental health, going to the gym, you know healthy body, healthy mind really is an overly used cliche, but it's very true. And for me, communication, much like Aaron, is, is probably the one thing that matters the most to me. Is I can often get lost in my own thoughts and my own mind more than anything else, and I have to speak to others to almost validate whether what's going on in my head is true. That's super profound. Thank you guys so much. Finally, what are you hoping to get out of this conference? I personally am really excited to hear what CEOs, those at the top of yeah. the tree, really are thinking about mental health and what they're going to be doing to improve it. Lovely. Stuart, what are you hoping to get out of today? Uh, Besides want... being really nervous on stage, but you guys have done that already, so you're good. <laughs> uh, you, you took what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> To be honest, I was really looking forward to the, the next session which is happening, which is all around how you measure mental health within the workplace and yeah. what, you, what you do next. Is It's all well and good opening the door and, and starting the conversation, but it's how, what do we do with it next? Lovely. Um, and that for me is the main point. Amazing. Well, I'll let you get to that. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Cheers. Okay. So here we are at This Can Happen, and I've got Robin Elliott, who also works for TLC Lions. What kind of what, what's your role at TLC? So operations manager. TLC yeah, Lions. yeah. Just, there's a lot of organization that goes yeah. behind the scenes, isn't there? Lots of organization. You're very organized. <laughs> I, I know when I've done talks with you guys. I come across that way. Super organized. That's good. Organized, That's professional, happy focused, his, you're doing wow. a very good job of covering any anxiety up. Um, but I don't know enough of your story, so tell me okay. a little bit about like why, because this is all about emotion and story yeah. at TLC, like why do you work here, what's important to you? Yeah, so first story was uh, I was studying uh, engineering at university. It's intense. Yeah, it was yeah. quite intense, quite, quite large workload. I think there was other courses that had worse workloads. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and generally happy sort of life and childhood generally yeah ticked along uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's going well and all fine and uh, and yeah something sort of happened a little bit over summer of like just after first year of university and kind of made me uh, change a little bit and so can I just so like yeah. a personal event or some kind of trauma something happened. yeah just something a bit that just kind of shook me up a bit sure. um, and went back to university not really feeling myself not really being sort of normal sort of happy and confident yeah, person yeah. That I usually was and yeah then that sort of lasted for two, three months where wasn't in, yeah, just not in the best space, really. Did anyone and know? Like, did you have, did you I talk? Suppose, like, I suppose, You're a young man, friends. and there's a classic, like, yeah. our men talking sort of thing. I suppose I wasn't really talking enough as well. I was yeah. kind of, like, not really showing, trying, not really thinking about it, or not really thinking of telling people. Uh, and then kind I started sharing a bit. But okay. that, that sort of helped a bit, but not that much. And then, uh, yeah, then my brother actually said, oh, have you heard of Headspace, this uh, meditation app? Ah. And I basically downloaded it around Christmas time and started doing it every day. Yeah. And so for two weeks, every single day I did it. And at the end of that two weeks, I was like, wow, like I feel like I've stopped thinking about that thing that was kind of annoying and always in my, on my mind. And basically felt myself again, started feeling better. So I just kept doing it every day for the whole month. 
and it just kept getting better and better. What was it like getting into that habit? Because I know they're yeah. super good at like a guided, like you, and you can kind of tick it off yeah. and you can see your analytics and all that sort of thing. But, yeah. you know, it is a practice. Like, yeah. were you just super desperate that you were like, I have to do this? I think I think I knew it was quite important that yeah. I like yeah, yeah. stuck to Try it. Try something. And like the first, the, the stuff that they were saying in the app and like the stuff about like just mindfulness and getting aware and like trying to be present, it all made so much sense. It was like really logical. It just made, made a lot of sense, and the scientific backing as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. all that just like meant, oh, I should just keep trying. And then it was like after two weeks where I felt the benefit. And when you feel benefit, then it's like, oh, this is yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. And then I basically kept doing it every day for four years. Um, wow. Even on the weekends? Even on weekends, yeah. The occasional... Sure. If I have a big weekend, that's the only time really like yeah, I'll yeah. kind of forget and then... And you probably like, feel it as well, and then you've got to yeah, like. Yeah, but the problem is like, if I'm having so much fun, and I kind of just forget to do it, then that's fine, and then I'll just do it the next day, and you know. Don't be hard on yourself. Yeah, just exactly. Like, like, keep showing means up. I was having a good time and just forgot. You know, that's not. I think that's. Not, yeah. Yeah. So what's <laughs> but, been yeah. the impact for you? Yeah. Of meditation. meditation. Yeah. Um, just really helpful. Just sort of being able to like control myself a bit more um, and so like your emotions like yeah understanding like emotions. Them. yeah understanding them it helped me become more like confident more energetic really helped with like sports like, I love like sports are one of my favorite things so yeah. like golf football okay like, running even yeah. like when I'm running and did some um, like a marathon I'm doing one next year as well oh, wow I've applied quite a lot of that same it's quite meditative to, isn't it yeah. To, to, yeah be mindful be in the present just one exactly. foot in front of the other yeah and sometimes it is it can be really painful when I'm running but I, it comes in waves and it's I suppose it's a bit like, a bit like life as well um, right <laughs> so it's just like it's weird though because it can be really painful then and like maybe I'll slow down a bit I like listen to your body a bit and then but then once... Um, but you know that the feeling passes. Yeah, and then suddenly, you know, 20 minutes later, all I've done is, like, kept going, but then it's it doesn't hurt anymore, and I feel good again. So it's... And that's not really... It's just knowing that it's going to pass, and then... So a bit like meditation. Yeah. So, yeah, it just applied to so many Did you end up life. finishing uni? Yeah. Okay, so, so you got to soldier through. Okay. Yeah. So you got a degree in engineering, and now you're helping people yeah. <laughs> bring emotion to the workplace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it. Um, Isn't life funny? It's yeah. full of curveballs. Yeah. Um, and so you coordinate all of us who yeah. tell our stories, right? <laughs> you, Do you think yeah. you'd ever tell your story fully on stage? Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. <gasps> That's recorded, everyone. Robin, I'm gonna hold you to that. In like six months, I'll be like, have you told your story yet? We're gonna bring you on stage. Yeah, I think I'm building up to it. I'm seeing all you, all you, you speak. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, like your your talk at Liberty with yeah. uh, the panel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a comedy show. You're hilarious. It was. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I quite like bringing the humor to this yeah, usually like um, intense topic. Yeah. Um, so we're obviously at this can happen. What do you think needs to happen at work when it comes to mental health? And I mean, like yeah. your mental health was 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 affected by whatever happened on the, yeah. over that summer, and you know all of us. What do you think needs to happen? Yeah, I think sort of change it or just so that, that people can kind of understand that sometimes people are going through something and then it, they're stressed out um, and might not be being themselves and spotting that sign and just being able to speak to them and once I think yeah once you have connected in that way and giving maybe everyone's different so sometimes maybe that's giving them a bit of space yeah that's true and knowing that if you do it do things the right way it's going to 
help them and it's going to get the best out of them as well. So, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. It's so good. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Robin, and we'll be Thanks, working Petra. with each other soon, I'm sure. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks so much. So it's, uh, I guess everyone's in session now at This Can Happen, so yeah. there's a slightly silent, there's, there's less buzz behind us. So I've come to the Unmind stand, because you guys are pretty cool. And I know some of you guys, so I know Nick, and I've, I've had some meetings about kind of collaboration and all the rest of it. So I'm standing with Daisy Abbott, uh, who works at Unmind. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Unmind. Yeah, so I'm one of the growth leads here at Unmind. That's a good title, first of all. It's a good one, the isn't it? Lead. Yeah. So I help to lead on the growth. So I've got a career spanning both mental health and business. So I started out working in the NHS, so teaching CBT and mindfulness techniques to oh, wow. people who had conditions such as depression, anxiety, or, or phobias. And for me, I thought, you know, CBT as a technique was really, really powerful. And what I was doing on a one-to-one -one basis, it kind of felt, how could I do that much broader? So I moved into employee well-being. I was working at PwC for a little bit, so okay. doing kind of wider HR consulting, and then yeah. most recently um, was leading on Prince William's Arm of the Heads Together campaign over at Mind. For mental health cool, charity. Cool, yeah. So now been in here, this place for a little while. Yeah, yeah. It's been um, a really, really interesting kind of 10, 11 years. I think having been on the the kind of front line working with those who have acute mental health issues, um, it's really interesting now to think about what can I do with that experience. But looking at solutions like Unmind, which is you know digital, scalable, and how can I impact as many people as possible is, is kind of my my passion in this space. I love it. So tell us about Unmind. So it is a digital solution, mm -hmm. and in theory, from what I remember, it tracks kind of uh, well-being across the yeah. workforce, right? Yeah. And, but then it helps with tools and skills as well for people to almost self-therapize. Yeah. Tell us a little yeah, bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, measurement's really, really important. And yeah. we believe that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And we know that people have got really good at doing that in terms of you know, physical health. You know, Everyone here is wearing a Fitbit or an eye yeah. watch. Or, and that helps us to support our physical health because we can see what we're doing and how that's benefiting us. And, and the same in the NHS. I used to work with a lot of different measurement tools that would help to assess mental health um, in the moment. Um, some of those tools, such as the GAD7 or PHQ9, yeah. you know, I'm really familiar with, with using in a yeah. clinical setting, but actually the so language... Those, of, just for the, the listeners, so those measure specifically anxiety and depression yeah. as a formalized tool, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So, But the issue with using those specifically in the workplace is the language in that is, is for a diagnostic purposes, yes. but also very negative. So one yes. of the questions is, to what extent do you want to hurt or harm yourself? Which, right. in a clinical setting, makes lots of sense. Um, sure. But in the workplace, it's just not a question which everyone will resonate with. So we've changed the language to talk about mental health in a much more aspirational way. Which is what I love about you guys, because yeah. I think that's what needs to change more than anything, is getting away from that more old school clinical yeah. diagnostic and more like, we all have mental health, and how do we look after our mental health and normalize that conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, and you hear people still say, oh, I don't have mental health, but I know someone that does. But yeah. actually, everyone has mental health all yeah. of the time. You know, we wake up with it, we go to sleep yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah. So for us, we, we provide employees with the tools to proactively manage their own mental health. So yeah. that's learning development programs within the platform. Um, we also have tools we use in the moment. So let's say if you were struggling with anxiety or you woke up in the night and you weren't able to sleep, you know, something that can be used instantly. Um, but also there's longer term kind of educational pieces. And then with all of the data, we anonymize and aggregate that. So from an employer perspective, let's say you're a wellbeing lead or a HRD, you can really see how mental health is trending across the business, but also drill down into key areas. 
also how's my different business units in terms of um, stress or sleep and or how my different countries, you know, comparing the UK versus the States versus Germany, because mental health looks different across all of those Oh, right, places. and the language is a little bit different as well. What about, like, the signposting piece? So obviously you do some of the self-help tools within the, the app and the, and the program. Does it integrate with, like, recommendations yeah. for support outside? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, for us, we recognize that everyone's mental health looks different. You know, we really want to instill a culture of being quite proactive and preventative. Yeah. But people do need reactive support. You know, they might need an EAP service or, you yeah. know, mental health first aiders or champions who are there on the ground who are brilliant in crisis scenarios. Um, so we look to signpost out to all of those. So as an organization, all, it's, it's very clear from an employee perspective where all those health and well-being services are. And having worked with clients and talked to organizations, there is that frustration of, well, my employees don't know where all those services are. So through OneMind, it's, it's a clear journey. You have all of your learning development programs, you've got your assessment, your in-the-moment tools. And then if you need that further support, you can be signposted out to that. And we, we triage people through, um, we have an integrated chatbot on the platform, which picks okay. up on specific language. Let's say you were experiencing suicidal ideation, and it picks up on that language and suggests external tools for you, whether that's um, you know, speaking to the Samaritan's hotline or ringing your EAP service. We know that you know, digital offers incredible opportunities for people, but there are also times where people might need support um, you know, from a human or to speak on the phone with someone. So we're looking to, to cover all bases and support yeah, people yeah. wherever they are on their mental health journey. Sometimes that's the first thing that somebody does when they're scared of the, the like picking up the phone yeah. to, to a therapist or someone. Yeah, yeah. They're like, do I even have a problem? We start Google diagnosing ourselves, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and this way, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, it's very dangerous. My daughter uh, Googled a rash recently and told me she had a disease. And I was like, all right, let's take a breath. And yeah, just yeah. Assess let's this. take a step back. Let's take a step back. Um, so finally, why are you passionate about this personally? Like, why does this topic drive you? I think for me, my initial interest in this really came from an academic view. You know, I studied psychology um, yeah. and I thought, this is really interesting. You know, there's yeah. so much research behind what could help. And I, having worked in psychiatric hospitals, I thought, you know, why are some people getting these oh, conditions wow. and why yeah. are others not? Um, yeah. And then it came down to my personal and family experience. You know, I've suffered with mental health conditions in the past. My mum, unfortunately, uh, lost her battle with, with mental health a couple of years ago. And so I know that there can be more done in the workplace. And I think organisations have a huge opportunity to be supporting people. So I want to make sure that people can stay in work and that people can enjoy fulfilling work. Because I think when you wake up in the morning, you don't want to get out of bed. It's a really, really tough place to be. Um, and being able to support people so that they can get to work and enjoy work and have those meaningful relationships and experiences is, is kind of why I'm, why I'm here and why I'm in this. And this is, I just love like circling back to our personal passion because then you find out that how everyone has a story and especially people in this industry, we're, we're driving for change because it deeply, yeah. it's deeply personal, yeah. both for ourselves and other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Daisy, thank you so much for thank your time you. and appreciate what you guys are doing at Unmind. Thank Great. you. Great, thank you. So, still, this can happen. I'm excited. People are in their talks, so we have a little bit of space. I'm at the Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma uh, uh, stand, uh, and I know Neil Laverne and Johnny Benjamin from way, 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 way back. I used to deliver some of their workshops in um, schools. Amazing individuals. Yes, absolutely. And so I've got, what's your name again? Kristen Murphy. Kristen Murphy with us, who is, uh, I want to say manning the stand, but that sounds sexist, right? <laughs> I'm womaning the stand. Yes, she's, she's womaning the stand. Um, tell us about Beyond Shame. 
name? What's the? It's charity, right? It absolutely is a charity. So it's a brand new charity that we have set up uh, in the mental health space. So at the moment, we're at a really interesting point in our journey. So we are undertaking an interesting piece of research because we don't want to be the same as anybody else. We don't want to duplicate. We don't want to do our own thing without taking any everybody else in the sector's organisations into consideration. So at the moment we're talking to everyone. Is that workplace or individuals or...? Uh, at the moment it is um, other people in the, the mental health space, so organisations, so the big guys, Ooh. the small guys. Yeah. We are determined to be youth-led, which means we actually want to um, very much seriously take the voice of the young people and not just yes. dip in and dip out. Nice. Ask them what they want. We're having our first youth board actually in two weeks. Oh, I love a good youth board. Who doesn't love a yeah, good youth board? So we've got these, this room of amazing advocates, um, campaigners and people that have just been in the space for so long. So we're actually going to sit down and genuinely ask them, well, how, how do you see this? How do you want to be communicated? And not just be done at that point in time and say thanks for your input and this is what we cipher yeah, yeah, as. Think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. we're trying to stick away from that. So because we're at this very interesting beginning sort of section, it's quite interesting for us. We're sort of now seeing where we fit. You know, we have these amazing people that are the founders of our organization that have reach, they have a platform yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have ability to really get into spaces that you know is, is quite unique. So we, we initially we're seeing things starting to form now around convening, what that means, whether it's sort of trying to get organisations together to share things and know what's happening next door. Well, because I think, unfortunately, there's a bit of competition in the space. Okay, so it's funding, like to me personally. I guess, yeah. So people are. Um, they're competing for the same pots of money. Yeah. Which can so then they be... want to keep their secrets of like how they're Absolutely. what they're going to do. And the funders, it's been my experience. So sort of the funders now are really are recognizing that. So a lot of sort of funding opportunities now are within partnerships. Are actively encouraging organisations to work in partnership to have this more Good. joint upwardness, as Lovely. I like to say, and just try to really, if we're all trying to get to the same direction, realizing we're one community and maybe the old school way of having your arm around saying this is what we do and just us yeah, yeah, yeah. may not be as effective. Absolutely. Um, and I know you've only been at Beyond Shame for about three months. So yes. It's pretty early days. It but, is. Um, why is the topic of mental health important to you? Personally, yeah. uh, I guess that I grew up in a household uh, that was led by mental health issues. and So parents had mental health yeah, issues. Yeah, my mother, absolutely. Yeah. Diagnosed really late. Uh, so there was some, I guess, knock-on effects. And actually, I've spent, as uh, I was just telling you, the last 10 years, the criminal justice uh, system where mental health is really prevalent and absolutely the thread that is running through pretty much everything that goes on in that world so to me it just this was an opportunity that was just way too good for me to pass up I'm yeah, so yeah. grateful to be working in this space with these amazing people yeah yeah, yeah. and I know it's way too long conversation to get into here oh, yeah. but what's the key what's the key thing if you can name one or two things that need to happen would need to happen in the uh, criminal justice space oh. like I know we just said we could talk about this all day but like what like uh, of course there's the criminal system and we yeah. were talking about the frustration and how sure. that's affected but when it comes to mental health I don't know what needs to happen Immediacy. So I I was really fortunate to go on a bit of a fact-finding mission to the States a few years back where they have sort of more community courts where they're embedded in the community, they know the person that's in front of them, they know their uncle, they know their, their background, they know their situation, and they're able to do things a lot quicker, whereas I think, um, you know, we live in a very archaic 
sort of system. Oh, and, and uh, you could have different organizations working with the same person. Oh, and yeah, not and there's, to no each other. There, there's absolutely no link, and there's no um, like information sharing yeah. and that kind of thing, which I think is a lot. But with the mental health, it, the mental health, it's, it's whether you're talking about hands waiting times or whether you're talking about sort of addiction recovery uh, centers to go to, there is just that there's no immediacy. And so there's forever a waiting. So this is where I think like organizations that are small grassroots can really shine. And if we're able to hopefully lift these organizations up to see what's really out there and realize that maybe there is a little bit of support to get whilst you're waiting for, I'm not too sure I answered the question or if I went on my own tangent, but that's kind of, yeah. But the criminal justice system, yeah, I think it is, a lot needs to change. It's too archaic, it's too slow, and I don't think it addresses the root issues. I don't think women, majority of women should be in prison. I think there's a lot of sort of issues around the, the under 12 months. Rather oh, than, yeah, yeah. Integration. And yes. actually, what does that mean? I mean, community people, and belonging. Some prisons, they're actually, um, just going off on a tangent, they're giving women tents when they leave. Yeah, that's and, and then you want to deal with that. I know. I'm sorry, like, I, I, that to yeah. me, to me, I as I said, just have come from working um, in an ex-offender uh, charity. To me, that's just hopelessness. I do. They, it's it, just saying, please repeat the cycle. Oh yeah, please, carry please. On we don't. Repeat the cycle. We we have not given enough. We don't um, have faith in you. We don't have faith in you, and we don't have and any structure for you to have a home. If no, you don't have a home. No. To me, this, and I said, we're going to drink wine and, I think and we're, we're, yeah, we're yeah, going to get yeah. right into this. But to me, that's almost the issue. That's You're not taking anyone's uh, mental health into consideration. Yeah. You're not taking their family. You're not taking any of their surroundings. It's not rehabilitation. It's not rehabilitation. And that's why we have the, is it the 72% under 12 months cycle? That, you know, 70% of people are just going to keep coming back. Because we're not addressing the root problems. And one of the main issues is mental health. And it's costing us money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you do to look after your own mental health? I am very good now in my old age. Um, of, She's not old, by the way, guys. Uh, 42. Just throwing it out there. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I'm very good at taking a break and just taking a moment. Just having a breath, I guess. I, I think I used to be really quick, yeah. and I sort of that. So now I just am very good at taking myself away from people and just sort of having a moment. Where I just got back from Tenerife for four days, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah, That's so sun and water for me yeah, yeah, is yeah. pretty much the way forward. Take a breath. Yeah, I always take a breath because otherwise decisions and quick sort of thoughts in the head can, for me. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. People are going to begin buzzing back in a minute. Uh, really appreciate it. Good luck today. Thank you. So everyone, I'm still at This Can Happen. We've just had lunch. It was healthy. It was a healthy lunch. And I'm standing with Jonathan Strassen, uh, uh, quite a, a good looking young man, if I do say so myself, just standing here in the middle of the room. Um, a lot of people would disagree with that. <laughs> well, let's, should we ask them? Should we change the, no, the angle don't. of the podcast <laughs> and be like, who finds Jonathan attractive? So Jonathan, you work for or at, are you the founder of, founder yes, of yes Mind? Mind. Yep. Yeah. Tell us about it because we've chatted a little bit and I'm like, must record you. Tell me about it. Absolutely. So, Yes Mind is an online counseling startup about to launch in 2020. So, put it in a nutshell if you're a customer and you wanted to speak to someone, you want to counseling, you get very affordable and very quick access to counseling via Yes Mind. So, you just go on, create your account, chat to a counselor, and arrange an appointment which you'll do over conference call. So I can see, I'm a counselor myself, and I know that it's some of it's a little bit old school, just like the approach and the boundaries and like how it works and all the rest of it. So are you, like what, what need are you answering to? 
like what do your clients want in looking to yes, yes mind for this kind of support? Yeah, I think um, there are a couple of benefits to online therapy versus traditional therapy. Accessibility is just far easier. You don't need yeah. to commute. We do everything from our phones these days, right? Exactly, and young people are massively, you know, growing demographic who are much more comfortable doing things on their phone. So it increases the accessibility. For young people, certainly increases their comfortability. Yeah. Lowers their inhibition so they can get cracking quicker in the counseling sessions. So can you uh, start by just like chatting? Yeah. And then you do you go to audio or video or like? Yeah, that's how it works. So you just start messaging your counselor, you know, almost messaging them like you would do on Facebook. Yeah. But then you arrange an appointment, they book it in, you know, which normally happens in 24 hours. Rather than doing it on the NHS, we have to wait six months. It's long. Yeah, and then you'll do a video, audio call uh, for your actual session. Yeah. And so why are you doing this? Because I, I think that many of us who are passionate in this space have some kind of story or connection to the mental health topic ourselves. Why is it important to you? I think it was through my friends really that gave me the sort of idea that this would be a good thing to do because a lot of them are sort of young professionals they work 60 hours a week and a lot of them are really stressed so many people i don't really know anyone who's particularly satisfied with their job i am um, people just by the way but okay <laughs> <laughs> and you know i think they all have access to counseling, they could all do it, but because it was a pain, because it was harder to get to, they and wouldn't do it. And the consistency, right? So you've got to show up like on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock every week yeah, for who knows how long. Exactly, it's just not flexible, but yet counseling adds such value. And so if you can increase the accessibility of it and the convenience and lower the cost, which of course online you've got far less, you don't have to, you don't have to pay no for an overheads. office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it just makes it a lot more accessible and I think a lot more people would benefit from using it as well. So exciting. So how long have you been going? How long has YesMind existed? started in March. So okay. we've just had time to build it, yeah. test it, refine it. Yeah. Currently doing our last sort of refining stage yeah. with the development and then launching in early 2020. Do you have investment behind the scenes or is that what you're looking for? We do have investment behind the scenes, but Ooh. always could do more. Always more investment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do a little <laughs> plug for that. Let's do a little plug for that. Where are you hoping it's going to go? Where do you hope it's going to take you? Yeah, my ultimate dream, I suppose, is to have a completely holistic service. So starting with things like nutrition, we can add on to it, financial planning, sleep advice. So you have a full range of services online that you cannot you know, access at your fingertips. But then I think recognizing that there are levels to mental health treatment. Some people could really just benefit from self-help advice that's completely free. And some people need to see maybe someone in person or maybe even need to go to rehab. There's a complete range of things you need, but online, you could definitely offer a, you know, a broad spectrum of things, whether that's guided self-help, um, so you've got a counsellor maybe you're touching in contact with one, every one or two months and they're just monitoring things like homework you've like done. A touch point, or, yeah. Yeah, it's just a touch point. Or you can have sort of free resources, forums that are monitored by counsellors to give people help, and then just you know, high-level counselling as well, one-to-one -one online. So you can do a full range of things as well. Very cool. So I run my own business, and I know firsthand that it can be terribly stressful when sort of all things are on to you to, to deliver on. Yeah. Um, how do you manage your own stress? Yeah, great question. I think what I try to do into my routine, well, first of all, make a routine pretty Which much Which is hard when you work for yourself, though. Yeah. Well, I think, Isn't it? I, I, I think you work for yourself gives you autonomy. Um, yes. So if you manage your schedule effectively, you can really have consistency. But what I like to do, I think more than anything, is just have a walk, to, walk at lunch where you get, mm. I leave my phone behind, I go out, and it just gives you sort of time to actually reflect and think about things. And then you find that the clarity of thoughts you get after a walk with no technology near you after a half an hour is amazing. I think that's my favorite thing to do for stress. Isn't it crazy? 
crazy how something so simple can actually have massive benefits. I, I definitely yeah. swear by the lunchtime walk as well, just to like recenter and refocus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so finally, thank you, Jonathan, for hanging Not out with me. What are you hoping to get out of today at This Can Happen? Like, are you in on any talks or are you meeting people talking about, like, what, what, what do you think needs to happen for mental health in the workplace? Well, I think mental health in the workplace needs to be more destigmatized. Mm. You would still feel nervous about contacting your manager and talking to about it in a lot of places. I think having a system, I think more than anything what will help in the workplace is where leaders and CEOs start to actually lead by example, maybe have counseling themselves and talk about their experiences, and you'll see that culture change trickle down throughout the organization. That's the biggest thing you can do. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, guys. Look up Yes Mind. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you very much. So I'm very pleased that I have got coffee from a good um, friend and colleague. Friend. Sort of? Yeah. Oh, friend. All right, fine, fine. Associate. <laughs> no. no. We're close to that. We <laughs> hug and everything. That's right. Friend. Um, so I've got close friend. Gary Helm, who works at Obo, and yeah. you were both on the advisory board for Mad World, which yeah. I realize this is at This Can Happen, but I think we can live. We're all on the same side. Absolutely. That's how I feel. It's for the right reason. Yeah. So why is mental health important to you? And I know you come from this beautiful, like, the environmental kind of angle. Tell us a little bit about that. Our understanding of the workplace now, I guess, it's uh, it's more around. We we refer to Monday morning blues. We refer to thank God it's Friday. Why do we do that? What is it about coming to work that people yeah. dread? When we go to work on a when we go to bed on a Sunday night, why do we fear coming to work? You know, mm. there's there's a fundamental problem. And we spend with, like a fuckload of hours just in the workplace, right? Yeah. And yeah. is it the job we don't enjoy? The people we don't enjoy? The commute? plays a part in it, the financial strain around some people work because they have to and I'm, I guess if you start to ask people if they won the lottery, to me that's an important question, if you Ooh. won the lottery would you come to work the next day? And you'll find people that are that's happy in question. their work still going to come to work. They so, may not get in quite as early, they may push the boundaries a bit more for the benefit of others as well. So, can we ask you that question? 100%, if you won the lottery, yeah, 100%. would you be doing and, what you do? And what I've realised now is that I would do more with it. And the, the whole, you know, back to the question, why mental health, why is it important? I didn't realise it was until... Yeah, you're a, new, you're a newly come to this in yeah, the last couple of years, just, right? Since the inception of Mad World, so we met the Mad World team a month before the first event. Yeah. We, so that's like a year and a half ago, maybe. That's right. Yeah. And we were invited to take the role as a sponsor, which was great. And it allowed us to understand whether it was just something that we wanted to do, felt that it had a purpose, because we're all about doing things for a purpose. We wrote the brief for the business two years ago around emotional and physical well-being in the workplace. So this was almost designed for us. Yeah, 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 for sure. I don't have a story, or I never thought I had a story. So when I sit and I listen to people who generally are doing this, who have their own story, I don't really have one. And then I sit in the advisory board and I sit in the presence of people like yourselves and others that are doing this with some, some real substance and think, wow. And then you self-analyze and self-explore and I cast my mind back to the turn of the century when I had a medical condition that I hadn't realized I had that was 
potentially going to be quite bad. And I spoke to the consultant afterwards, and I said, so why did that happen to me? And he said, well, I can only... The, the body doesn't just mm. do these things. So if you have something that happened... And I had a thyroid condition, I had half of it removed, and it was all fine in the end. But that didn't just happen for no reason. The body just doesn't go thyroid problem. It builds up over time. So that had obviously built my perhaps misleading laid back persona may have been covering that even to myself. So then I realized that I had that. What did, it, what did it do to your head? Like, where, where, like what, where was your head at when you found out some of this information? Well, my head was fine because I actually established the information for myself. I actually almost went to the co consultant and said, surely this didn't just happen. Surely there must have been something that was going through. I tend to be... We want to find out the why, don't we? So that we can make sense of the chaos that sometimes is in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd forgotten all about that episode until speaking to people on the Mad World Advisory. Okay. So that's how unimportant it's been to me because I coped with it. I was lucky enough to have a great family network, friend network that just kind of were there. Whether they were there subliminally, naturally, mm. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a great believer in people doing what they do naturally. Sure. And I've you know let people down in the past. People have let me down in the past. But that's what happens when people are in bad places at times. So in the workplace, and I'm sure there was a question in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, why, is it, why is it important to you? And, and you're saying, well, you didn't know much about it, and yeah. you were lucky that you've had support networks, but that once you had that physical health condition, maybe it sort of dawned on you that you do have a bit of a story as well, yeah. right? Some of us have more specific mental health stories, yeah. but they're really just connected to our past or whatever has gone on. Yeah. Yeah? Everybody has, everybody has something, and the more that we can provide for people in the workplace and have it as a safe place for them to be somewhere they can come to work and it should be the same as going to school going to university going to workplace going to friends it should all be the same you should have all of those support mechanisms around you and we're you know very conscious my kids have now stepped out of education into the workplace so they've transitioned through that and they've been you know, luckily and you know brilliantly supported by all of those support groups all the way through their journey. That's and amazing. now they're healthy yeah, yeah. adults. I That's mean amazing. healthy as in physically, mentally. Yeah. Able to kind of make a contribution to society and in their make own good way. decisions. And just, yeah. you know, I might be people. down to some of your parenting though. Let's, yeah, let's, maybe. let's give you a little bit of credit. <laughs> yeah. You and the missus. Yeah. Um, thank you. So finally, just tell us a bit about Oboe and like how does the, do you think workplace design, so furniture, like how does that impact our mental health? What we're finding now is there's a more receptive audience than there was. So I've been doing this for years. So we were talking formally about ergonomics. Yeah. It was always about somebody being locked at their desk, being as comfortable Cubicles. as they possibly could OSA, be at yeah. their desk all the time. VDU screen, distances, everything now, it's about freedom of movement, it's about allowing people to be the best they can be, open plan. Now recognizing that people are different. Everyone's different. Introverts, extroverts, ambiverts, like people need different environments color, to be their best selves. Color, texture, light, heat, so many things that impact on you, and again, 
these impact you on your way to work on your, when you're at home, so why shouldn't they be thought of in the workplace? You and I may have different temperature requirements. How do you overcome things like that? How do you overcome people then? But how do you overcome things like that? If you've got a big open plan office, for example? You create a better ambient temperature, and you create different spaces to allow people to not be locked in one desk all the time. So autonomy, freedom autonomy, of movement, light. Plus, I love what you guys yeah. do about around light. Yeah, yeah. light's cool. I mean, yeah. light's the... We stand here now, we can see trees. And when, when light is, is coupled with colour as well, that's when it really has an impact. Well, that's why my brand colour is yellow, because it just makes me happy, yeah. rather than some of the other, like, traditionally mental health. Lots of counsellors have just, like, a pastel purple, yeah. or, which I get is meant to be cuddly and, like, connected or something. Um, but it doesn't represent me and, like, the energy that I want to bring into this space, you know? The colour to one person is not the same. So, so, so therefore you have your reds which are thought of as fast and as you say yellow yeah. is thought of as happy and if you then yeah. combine McDonald's to be fast and happy, you know, all those things then. It's true. But <laughs> Oh no, am I what? Is no. my brand confused with McDonald's? <laughs> People, look after yourselves. Like snack food, yeah. <laughs> but colours critical to the interview because everybody has their own colour personality. Yeah, so we've discussed this, yeah, it was absolutely. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So therefore, you then also have your own communication colour as well. So again, mm. when, so when you're working with people in an open plan environment and you understand how they communicate, then you're not going to be faced with, oh God, he's in a bad mood. Because in fact, that's just how he communicates. So this is this is all connected to just like team building and self-awareness and understanding each other. Absolutely. And if we understand how we communicate and we do a bit of my work, we yeah. just need to collaborate on authenticity and sharing your story and taking the mask down. Yeah. But then also having empathy for how other people what other people need, we can just have that happier and more productive workforce. Yeah. yeah? It's just despite what a lot of people will say that it's all about me in my world, but it's generally I'm the least important person in my world it's really it's all about everybody else never to my detriment which is always an important that's thing that's a good as well, point because you can just you take on in. too many other things I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes yeah, I need be, to, I'm to say that about me yeah. And there is that. And we, you know, we were lucky enough to meet up with the guys from the uh, the Big White Wall. Oh, yeah. We called up with Emery. Yes, I love Big White Wall. And, you know, one of the messages I saw on the wall was, don't forget it's also okay to be okay. Because I think... Oh, I we, love that. And, and I think we are getting a little bit... Because it's so like, it's okay not to be okay. And I'm like, I, I have a story. Yeah. But I'm pretty, like... I'm okay. Chilled and happy That's and right. okay. And I, I just go through the normal ups and downs of yeah. figuring life out, right? And as you say, because it's often because of an episode or whatever it might be that's in the past that has triggered something. But that doesn't mean that you're not okay now, but it just means that you've got that authenticity that sits behind because you've overcome mm, certain things. Yeah, self-awareness. And let me just highlight that you can also have a mental health diagnosis yeah. and be okay. Yeah. So you can have depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or disorder and be putting things in to manage it and be okay. It's not like, oh my God, you have yeah. that thing. It's just like, what are you doing with it? That's the main thing. Gary, thank you so much. I'm my so pleasure. glad I forced you to do this. It's okay. Great, <laughs> great to speak as always. Talk to you soon. Right, take care. So we are still here at This Can Happen, and I'm getting tired, people. I'm wearing heels and my legs hurt, but I just sat in on uh, mental health in the legal profession, which was, um, 
I have to say I'm seeing quite a white crowd, you know, of like lack of diversity when it comes to some of these panels. Uh, but that's just indicative of where this conversation is going, I think, not necessarily a judgment. So we're coming to the close and I'm sitting with Beth Osborne, who we've done a little bit of work with like ages and ages ago. I love that I'm getting messages and LinkedIn messages of people going, hey, did I see you? Let's hang out. That's probably the best bit for me about this conference. <laughs> Beth, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? Why is mental health important to you? So I work for Mercer in yeah. the UK and we launched, well, I launched a mental health network there cool. back in the beginning of 2018. Which is still ongoing yeah. now, but I actually was made redundant end of 2018, and I've just gone back for a six-month contract in diversity and inclusion. Interesting. Globally for Mercer, so I kind of get to go back and see how are things progressing and where are they at now compared to where they were at when I left, which That's is really cool. Really quite a bit cool. of investment, yeah. How, yeah. How have things developed? They are just continuing in the way that they were before. So they've yeah. got mental health first aiders in every office, okay. which we'd organised before I left. Yeah. Um, but I think that training is continuing and they're getting more and more people involved. Yeah. Personal stories, there are more people that are giving their personal stories on the internet. They have, by every other week, they have like a call with their mental health like champion, so not the first aiders, but people who are championing mental health in the workplace. I actually really love that because I think companies who only have mental health first aiders are sometimes a bit polarizing. Agreed. Because it's just like, oh, when there's a problem, talk to these people. But what about the 10 steps before? What about the positive interventions, right? Yeah. I struggle a little bit with mental health first aid because, and actually, funnily enough, this was mentioned in a panel I was on earlier that I was listening to where you, we, at Mercer, we don't choose who does the training, right? So you volunteer to do your training. If there's a space, you go and do your training. And I think there's a potential risk with that in that people that, I feel like mental health first aid training is for people who already have those conversations. So right. if you're someone that people already talk to. So they're personable, they connect with people, yeah. and then they just want a bit of knowledge and skills on yeah. like real mental health issues. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I feel like those are the people that mental health first aid training should target and not just people that want to be that person. I think there's a potential risk there's and maybe consistency isn't there yeah maybe like, we haven't got that balance right and then it's also how is it utilized within an overall mental health strategy so if, it, if it's like yes we've got this and we've got this so that people know that they can go to different places but yeah there's definitely challenges yeah yeah and what i'm thinking now that where mercer should go is more down the, the overall well-being route so like we've done the mental health thing we've got the we've got the network it's working but well-being as a whole, I think, would have more impact because mental health has been the buzzword, right, for a while. And it's in been the great. UK. In the UK. And you're talking, you're, you're, you know, have a global role. So I now have a global role, yes. Right. So now and, I'm seeing it globally. And I'm doing more work with local businesses yeah. and realizing that we're actually quite ahead of the game. The UK is way it, ahead, yeah, way ahead. Yeah. And that's why I think flipping it so that you're, you're talking well-being in general, you might be able to access countries or regions where mental health is still a massive 
kind of taboo and a scary subject, I think. It's like well where we were happen. eight, ten years ago, which, yeah, which is like well-being meant like the gym membership and the Even in the US, stuff. surprisingly oh, my, for me. No, I'm not the, surprised. Okay, I mean, good. I work in the US and okay. yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes horrified, but, yeah. but but then it excites me because the things that we take for granted, being in the mental health space, I'm like, oh my God, this is actually like leading the way in global companies. And that's why I think days like this are so good because it's just a reminder that, do you know what, we're doing all right. And actually we've got a lot of work to get other countries and other regions up to speed, but also we need to keep progressing too. But yeah, so talk to me about that. Like how do you think we need to push the barrier? Of, of this mental health conversation so that it isn't just like awareness but actual intrinsic cultural change. I, think, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like the, the biggest thing for me, bearing in mind I'm a very small fish in a massive pond of mental health stuff and it was not a business reason no. for me. The reason I did yeah. it was just a chat with a colleague who wasn't all right, right. and that then led to the whole thing. Okay. So it wasn't from like a, I didn't have a business head on when I did it, I had like a people head on. But now in my role, I'm seeing the business impact of it. I feel like being able to measure it is massive, and at the moment, we don't. We have there engagement some, surveys. There are, there's, there's like Unmind, there's a couple of organizations like tech apps. Yes, Spill. Oh, I love Spill. Yeah. Uh, I wonder about their measurement aspect, but I, I interviewed them yeah. just around their tech um, chats to therapy support, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure anyone's doing it perfectly, no. if I'm honest, as far as the full circle information to your type of roles of like, all right, what do we now do with this? Yeah. But I feel like we're in the foothills and the more people are testing it out and getting competitive, actually, the, the, the better we can test it Definitely. and make it better. So and I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think so too. I also think we need to ask our employees more. I, I feel like we, and I don't mean we as in Mercer, I mean we as in, in the industry, mm -hmm. I feel like we seem to be, assuming a lot of stuff all yes. the time. We're like, oh, we'll get first aiders in because that'll help and we'll get like a fancy internet page and we'll link to this and that and we'll get some speakers in. Yep. But have we actually asked the employees, like, what do you feel like you need? Absolutely. Yeah. And I do, because I do strategic work in companies, right? And I'm like, what information do you have already? What are you already doing? And the ones who are like, we don't do anything on mental health will often discover under that well-being banner yep. that mental health covers everything. It's, it's the one health. thing yeah. that impacts every single yes. human, whether you're LGBT, whatever your ethnic yes. minority background, yeah. anything. Mental health is the one part of well-being that literally is every single person. It's so, a connector. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So measurement needs to change. Um, we need to continue to push the boundaries. Yeah. What else do you think needs to happen? I feel like the senior buy-in is yeah. key, as with everything. I feel like at Mercer we kind of went bottom up and we sort of just did it and then said, are you on board? And they were, and it was amazing. But I feel like we need to get more leaders in the whole space getting involved. Talking about their mental yeah. health, putting yeah. themselves out there, and especially not, in our global companies. Can you imagine? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if like CEOs in the US would start talking about their stuff. And it doesn't, I think for me, it doesn't need to be some big like, I suffer with XYZ and this is really difficult. It's just a, a human conversation about, yeah, sometimes life's really flipping hard and this is how I deal with it. And it's okay that you're going to find it hard sometimes and we've got these resources. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't have to be dramatic. No. And I think sometimes when you're launching something, you go for the hard hitting yeah. drama, which is great and there's a place for yeah, that yeah. too, but also just daily life can be tough. 
Yeah, and I, what I try and do is just create spaces where we can have empathy, we can connect as humans, we can realize that the world that we live in is super fast-paced, it's the always-on society. Resilience. Well, resilience, but I find that that's sometimes patronizing because people say things to me like, so we're going through a global merger or like a restructure, can you do some resilience training? No. And I'm like, oh, no. for sake. I mean like human beings. Yes. So my role being the inclusion bit rather than the diversity bit, for me it's like, we as a, you as a human are valuable to a business because of your background, your mental health, your everything. You That makes you, you, and we as a business want you for all of those things. I we think want to allow you to be the best human exactly. possible. I think we just get lost in the, we get lost in the labels and we get lost in the boxes. I would like to see in the industries where there are no boxes anymore and we're just celebrated for being the humans that we are. But then that's not to be confused with the one size fits all approach, Absolutely right? Absolutely not. Like one size need, will never fit Right, all. but you're no. saying like we're all connected yeah. and and similar in that sense with the thread of mental health. But we're different, but that's the point. Right. The point is that we're totally different. Just because we're different doesn't mean we have to be in a box, right? So no. I'm like a 30-year-old white woman who, I don't, I don't really fit in like a, um, a traditional like diversity and inclusion box, right? So I'm not LGBT, I'm not from an ethnic minority background, but I am still, like I, I'm you still- to your own 100%. self and your own thinking yeah. and yeah. yeah. Which is why companies need, can't just have only mental health first aid or only one approach. Some people don't want to talk in that way or they won't see it as something that applies to them, right? We need to have varied support, like we talked about spill, we talked about um, events, like whatever it might be. We need a range, but I love what you said. Listen to your fucking people. Yeah, like just, just ask, ask the question. Ask question, because you, you are not going to know what they need unless you ask. So you're potentially going to be spending time, resources, money on solving a problem, but you don't know what the problem is. So You're that's where, solutions. like, there's a little point for people who, who are attending this conference is you can be in loads of talks about loads of stuff going on, yeah. which is great, but then you've got to go to your people and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Or what are the stress points you have that we can then answer to? And then you've got, like, this range of skills that you've now learned about, right? Mental health first aid is not a blanket solution to the problem. Oh, no, it is. It's like a, a tiny piece of the pie, yeah. but, like... There's, you have to find out what the problem is in your business and in your industry and for your people because it's your people that are making you your money. So, you know, I get that there has to be a business impact to a lot of these things and that the you're only going to put money in if you get money back and blah, blah, blah. But without people, you don't have business. Well, and there's quite a bit of evidence around, uh, you know, yeah. you don't invest in your people. How do you deal with your own stress, Beth? Because you're like global six month, I heard redundancy in there. It sounds like you've been on a roller coaster yeah, since we divorce, last met. Redundancy. Divorce, oh yeah, divorce. Oh, I've been yeah. there as well. Yeah, wow. 2019 is quite a year for you. Yeah, it's been a big fun. Yeah, um, how do you look after I, yourself? I give myself time. I go on walks, I write music. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. yeah, spend time with family. Nice. But the outdoors for me is like Nature. a half hour walk. Yeah. Sorts me right out. Even if you're like in the city, we're in the yeah, heart yeah, of Westminster. Yeah. At well, the today I went yeah. out at lunch today because I was like, I need a bit of air. 
And also just trying to notice like what my signs are. So I'm someone that like I don't really like cry, I don't shout, I don't, don't cry about it. No. I cry like all the time. I really wanna cry. In fact I want to like shout. I wanna get really angry and shout. But I just go quiet. So I know I'm not okay if I go quiet. Ooh. So if I'm like not replying to messages or you start isolating. I'm just a bit quiet. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm an introvert naturally, so I'll take myself off anyway. But that's like a warning for me. So if I go if you do that too long, then what happens? Then I just disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Start wobbling. Yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed with repressed PTSD about two years ago. Wow. That's a whole nother story. Hey, I've got PTSD as well. Uh, join the club. Yeah, there's, um, you're the second person I've chatted to today. And well, mine's a bit of a weird one because it's based on an experience when I was like 15, 16. So it's not, like she tried to describe it, like you don't have PTSD now, but you have PTSD for that experience. Yeah. And so that infiltrates into my life in some ways that I didn't even, like, wasn't even aware of. And interestingly, I only went to the GP because I couldn't sleep, like my sleep is like the one thing that's terrible. Yeah, I was like, I'm all good mentally, I yeah, just yeah. can't flipping sleep. Yeah. So that's really annoying. Yeah. And then it all... Um, have you figured out a type of therapy or something that helps? I had the MDR. You... Did you? Yeah. So I had six weeks worth of EMDR. How did you find it? Did you find it useful? It was a weird one for me because I went to the GP and said, look, I can't sleep, as in I sleep, but I dream all night and just toss and turn. Uh, and I'm really flipping tired. Yeah, so yeah. can we sort it out? Help me. Yeah. And she said, have you been through any trauma in your life? And I went, what a forward thinking GP. Yeah. And Jesus I went, Christ. no. She was like, right, give me like the chapter headings of your life. So I did. The GP asked you this? The GP asked me this. This is a private GP. No, no. Respect. Yeah. I like this person. She goes, uh, tell me like the chapter headings of your life, like give me like a bit of She background. had some trauma training this I think so. Or she wouldn't I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I told her and she said, you've had trauma. Like you have definitely had trauma. Me. One of the things I read in researching my own trauma is that we tend to minimize it. So we go, other people are worse, like yeah. I haven't been to war or I whatever. was just like, listen, I just, these are just my, like my cards. I am good, yeah, I am yeah. fine. Went to go and see, went to the Priory. So I got referred through, so the GP then referred me, but I went through Booper because I was at Mercer at the time. Had, yeah, yeah. Went to see a psychiatrist who said, you have repressed PTSD for these things that happened when you were younger. Went to have, said EMDR is going to be the way it works for you because you're, the psychiatrist was like, listen, you've dealt with it, but you've dealt with it too well yeah. without actually dealing with it. So like, so you've managed it you're super too, well. Yeah. But that doesn't actually, mean it's not there. A, actually a bad thing because it meant I've left it for so long. I basically, yeah. yeah. So I sat down with the EMDR woman. I said, "Listen, I have a, a box of crap in my brain that I know there's stuff in. I don't want sympathy. I don't want a like. There, there. You're going to be fine. I know I'm going to be fine. Help me open the box. Get it all. Everything. I love how some of us strong individuals who have managed a lot of I, stuff. Strong, independent woman. Yeah. Get it out. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> this is so similar to me. I go to a therapist and just go hit me yeah like, right bring it. it you're like i know myself well enough like this bit's good just leave that alone can you just like focus in but this is all often the like disease of efficiency i'm like i got one hour get it out, shit out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? literally just get it out because i don't care what's in there i don't care what is in that box just get it out because it's it's doing my head in but i've heard and this has happened to me that my insistence that they like and they go oh all right she knows herself well enough yeah. and i can speak really well is that actually they go in too fast i get re traumatized because I just thought hit me 
and then oh. they're a bit like, oh, fuck. Oh, no, mine was all right. Done that. Mine was all right. Because it was the EMDR, so, like, you end up saying things, like, without actually knowing what you're saying, and yeah. then they talk them through. Um, and basically, it all came down to the fact that I had processed the actual trauma, but what I didn't realise was all of the stuff occurred because of the fact that I couldn't do sport anymore. So when I was a teenager, I did sport all the time, that I was going to be an Olympic person. Yeah, yeah. Like, sport was everything. Yeah. Wow. And I had really bad knees. Yeah. And I had to just literally, one day I was doing every sport for the county, whatever, and then I couldn't do any sport anymore. It was like... Because of your knees. Full-on oh, identity crisis. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you're defined by what you like back then, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And that's when the trauma then happened because I was vulnerable, I got preyed on, blah, 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 blah. So the therapy for me was useful because it helped me understand the, the trigger of why everything happened and forgive yourself but I'd kind of dealt with what happened I just didn't understand the why Interesting. so going to the therapy helped me understand the why I had my six sessions she said you're good to go like laters yeah, yeah and yeah. that was that but to be fair so that was the beginning of 2018 I had my therapy I kind of feel like now maybe I'd like to go and have therapy now like as me now well, because you just said shit went down in 2019. So you had oh, the therapy, yeah, yeah, like 2018, and then you had quite yeah, a challenging hard, hard, year, yeah. which isn't quite over yet. But again, I just did a me where I was like, that's okay, this is just like my cards, this is fine. But it gets to the point where I'm like, I'm like the worst person to be targeting with like mental health stuff, really, because I think I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, I am fine. Yeah, but what is? But we're and, not but actually what is fine. fine. You're exactly. great. You, you cope very well. Yeah, that with does not stuff. mean that you're fine. It right. doesn't, it and it impacts on bits of your life that you. And often it impacts relationships. Hundred percent. Right. Hundred percent. I'm a divorcee as yeah. well. It yes. does. So yeah, we repeat patterns in relationships, All the time. And, and our trauma comes out oh. in ways where the argument isn't about the argument; it's about the yeah. shit. Or in my of, case, you just don't argue. Or you just so in my oh, case, you shut down. You just get shouted at or whatever, and you just sit there. You go passive. But because I'm, I think I'm just bored. Like because of the trauma when I was younger, I just switch off. Like you start shouting, I'm not going to shout back. Well, it's kind of like dissociating, isn't um, it? Just, you... My therapist said you're the most disconnected person I've ever met. And wow, I went, you better. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> She's like, well, you feel stuff all the time, but your brain is like switched off. Yeah, but do you feel it? Feel it, or do you just understand? I feel what's things, yeah. right? But my brain just—it's like she described it like I have a trap door. Yeah. So like I'm a feeling human, right? Yeah. Everything is done by gut instinct. Everything, okay. right decisions, all wrong. Yeah. It's all based on gut. Yeah. My brain kind of doesn't work. Like my conscious brain is like, see you later. Like heart, you can fix this. You can sort this. And brain's just not there, which is why my sleep is so bad because that's when my subconscious so starts working. Is like... So my conscious is empty, which is great for me. I can just feel the stuff, do the stuff, and be successful. That's why and work at hard night, and... mm. when the subconscious kicks in, that's when all the shit comes out. Yeah, I think that's when the trauma that in the day I'm great at, like Managing. really genuinely being okay with. At yeah. night, my subconscious is like, mm -mm. you still got stuff to work on. So I love that Maybe. we segued into trauma. I know. On this wonderful Monday afternoon. Trauma comes down. There's a lot of stuff that's down to trauma. I agree. And I think more of us than we care to admit have been affected by oh, some kind 100%. of trauma. Yeah. We don't want to put it down to that because we want to be resilient and we want to be tough. And we but say... I think you are resilient. You are. 
everybody has trauma, right? Everyone. It doesn't matter what it was or how extreme it sounds to some people or mine was just like for me like just part of the course it was my trauma my like the crappy card out of the hand and you deal with it and you get on with it and you move on my what i what i think is really important and it comes back to days like today we talk a lot about experiences defining someone my trauma does not define me and i'm not like a victim or a survivor i'm just a human i've just had my crappy bit and i'll have plenty more and it's about making an environment and a world where it's all right to have had a crappy thing happen and to be okay. And to talk about it. Because and to again, talk about it. we minimize like, oh, but there's been people who've had much worse trauma, therefore I don't like It's like, not comparison. Yeah. Well, but we do, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So it's super powerful to just be like, I can just talk about what's going on for me as part of the human condition. Yeah. Right? And like, we all have it. It doesn't matter how little or big it feels. I think that's the thing for me. You don't have to have had this like life-defining moment to be valid in feeling shitty. And it's self-awareness. At any point, yeah. And as much as people go, oh, it doesn't affect me, it does in some unconscious ways, does. mostly in our relationships or our work environment, um, as far as how we deal in a board meeting yeah. or how we deal with conversations, conflict, all the rest of it. Or how we deal with mental health strategies or well-being or the idea of opening up that conversation because that's a, that's a really telling point. Yeah. How yeah, people yeah. react to that is, is huge. So what happens after this six-month contract? I have to find a permanent job. How somewhere. <laughs> the Please, thickens. someone. <laughs> someone, yeah. hire best. Someone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of, a, I'm very much a push on every door and something will open. Yeah, I'm, I'm Like, trust the universe type vibe, so. I love trusting the universse. I've got to just. Meeting people and just seeing what happens. Yeah. yeah. Beth, thank you so much for your spontaneous time that you didn't expect. I really I did, it's been lovely. Thank yeah, you very super much. good, thank you. What a day it has been interviewing so many different people for uh, the podcast, so many different viewpoints, people getting real and vulnerable, talking about their own mental health, but equally about the tools and innovation that they're using when it comes to mental health in the workplace. I think we still have a ways to go. I mean, I'm excited about this conversation. Probably couldn't have had it in the same way as openly. Uh, a couple years ago, um, but I think we need to go further and it's not even rocket science and it doesn't even cost money to have open, empathetic conversations and bring our whole selves to work, full story. And I just loved the relief that when I started telling my story, um, I just had, I lost the imposter syndrome and I lost the who's gonna you know, like uh, tap me on the shoulder and ask me why I'm here and, and, and figure it out, right? So I'm excited, hope you enjoyed all the little hints and tips and ideas of companies that are out there. Look after your mental health and check in on someone today and see how they're doing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.